This episode of Industry Focus is made possible thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, December 13th, and we're discussing logistics. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined in studio by Motley Fool contributor, Dan Klein. How you doing, Dan? Hey, Nick. Can't we do this at my house where it's warm? Yeah, <laughs> it's 32 degrees here in, in Alexandria, Virginia. It's 81 in West Palm Beach. Yeah, tell me about it, Dan. You know, I, you're coming down from West Palm Beach. I'm someone, someone who grew up in the South, not ready for this weather. And I'll tell you, it's not just that it's cold. We're getting up to 20 mile per hour gust of winds up here, so it's it's not only freezing cold; it's freezing cold, cut through your jacket, make you miserable, miserable weather. So you know, I'm a little jealous of you getting back, getting to go back home to Florida. <laughs> I, I have a guest room. There's a blow up for Austin. We could totally work this out. Yeah, let's set it up. Let's get some mics down there and uh, and make it happen. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's good to have you on, Dan. And we're, thank you, you know, for having me. Yeah, and uh, and we're we're following up on our show we did a couple weeks ago. You know, on trucking, kind of the shortages there, and we're going to do a little bit of a follow up. On kind of what we're seeing after this holiday season, um, in those those channels, and what it kind of means for us going forward. But first off the bat, Dan, I just wanted to get your thoughts um, based on data we got released last Thursday, uh, December sixth. The U.S. exported more oil than it imported for the first time ever um, in that in the last week of November, and they exported uh, two hundred eleven thousand barrels per day. You know, we don't have to go into investing here, Dan, but just as a U.S. citizen, what does this mean that we're exporting <laughs> or net exporter of oil here in the United States? So I'm a little older than you. I literally remember gasoline shortages. Now, I, I wasn't driving back then, but I, I remember the news stories. So this is stunning. On the other hand, th- we are coming very late to the party. We, we are now the masters of something that's like, what, 10 years away from being somewhat irrelevant? Uh, we, are, we are rapidly getting rid of our need for, for oil and gasoline. That's true. I mean, we're, we're probably, you know, over the next, you know, couple of decades going to start to see, you know, demand start start to roll off, but it, it is very remarkable just, you know, how we, we have these supplies particularly in the shale industry that, you know, we didn't even know we could get to for the longest time and now we're a net exporter. I mean, just 3 years ago, President Obama, you know, back in 2015, lifted what had been a ban on oil exports going back to the 70s as you mentioned, the oil crisis uh, um, under the Carter administration. And you know, just in this past three years, we've gone from it being illegal to export to being a net exporter of oil. So it's just really you know an interesting um, phenomenon going on. We'll have to see how that plays out over time. I, and I think there is an investing takeaway. Look at research and development. <laughs> you know, if, if there are companies that are saying, "Hey, here's a resource that's trapped. We think we can get it out," that might be a good long-term play. That's exactly right, Deanne. Um, let's pivot into our main topic for today, which is talking a little bit about. What's going on in logistics, and really putting that into context with what's going on with holiday sales. Uh, so, so we're seeing store visits being down about 1.7 percent according to ShopperTrek data. Um, but digital sales, however, have been up 23.6 uh, percent on Black Friday. Um, consumers spent more than 26.61 billion dollars online between November 21st and November 26th, according to Adobe Systems. How have uh, Retailers and just the logistics infrastructure absorbed this, you know, spike in demand for the holiday season, particularly online uh, spending. Well, I mean, they've they've tried to flatten the season out. If you remember, it used to be Black Friday. That was the day people line up at stores. Then it became Thanksgiving. Now, starting November first, you were starting to see sales. So I wouldn't think that much about 
the store traffic being down. Uh, we don't have hard numbers, but sales were actually up. So the people who went to stores were more likely to be buying like a television or a refrigerator or something you actually wanted to see. And in terms of online, they're trying to funnel you into certain items. If you look at Amazon, who breaks down some of what they sold, all of their top sellers, like nine of 10, were Amazon items. So they know how many they have. They are pushing you to those. They are heavily discounting to getting you to make decisions. They're slimming down the merchandise that you can easily find on sale. So they have a lot of whatever it is you're buying. The days of shortages have gone away. No, Nobody's punching each other at a Walmart over a TV anymore. Or not nobody, but very few people are doing it. Yeah, you're right, Dan. I mean, we've seen some trends of kind of spreading out promotions where in the past it had been all kind of front-loaded on Black Friday. You know, now we're seeing uh, online spending on, on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving was up 31%. It was up 28% on Thanksgiving itself. And you compare that to what we think of as the, the big shopping day, Black Friday was only up 23.6%. Um, Cyber Monday was only up about 20%. So, so we're really seeing uh, this nudge towards consumers kind of spreading out that system, uh, you know, the, the holiday purchases. So we're not, you know, getting kind of getting everything front loaded in, in one period to really stretch our infrastructure. And some of it's purely mechanical. Um, so Amazon has always, or at least for the last few years, had 100 million Prime subscribers, people that could just hit a button and order. Walmart is sort of in the beginning stages when they went to free shipping, which is a little over a year ago, I don't remember the exact date, that captured data for them. That was more people putting credit cards on file. Target offered free shipping through the holiday season. There are more digital retailers where you can buy from easily. Like All three of those have my data. eBay has my data, probably a number of specialty places. The hesitation to shop online on the holidays was, well, I see it on my phone, but do I want to sit here and type in my credit card number, my address? All Now that that has really become easy, and sometimes you could do it with Apple Pay and with, with, with other sort of automated payment methods, it's taken away one of the major barriers. So people who used to like use their phone as a shopping tool, as a catalog, they're just completing the sale now. And that's, you know, that's taking people out of stores, which is a good thing uh, if you're in line at a store. Not a great thing if you're uh, waiting for something to be delivered via a truck. Sure. Yeah, it's like we talked about in the last show, Dan. It's just it's much more complicated to deliver dozens of shipments to individual homes than it is to deliver one big massive shipment um, to one uh, uh, to to one store. And another trend we're kind of seeing, we mentioned kind of spreading out these promotions. We're also seeing a little bit of nudging towards these pickup uh, pickup in store delivery from store options. And again, Dan, that, that that's what you were talking about. Uh, what kind of what, the same trend we were talking about? It's much easier to deliver a big chunk of goods to one place and then distribute from there than it is to kind of do a thousand different individual one or two box shipments. And let's call this a nascent technology: the pickup in store. Yes. So I live in two different places. So I'm in a number of different WalMarts and Targets, and they have redone the Walmart and Target where we are in Davenport, Florida. When you walk in there, there's like it's like a doctor's office. You enter your your barcode and it shows you your number and you know exactly. If you go to the one in West Palm Beach, which just has the pickup tower, it's utter chaos. Nobody knows what's going on. Your item might not be there. I told you we ordered something in store that was physically in the store and it took five days to get it. <laughs> and I had to go leave. Obviously, I didn't stay there for five days. I had to go back and get it. So these things are are developing and they're becoming more the norm. People are co- becoming more comfortable with them, but there were a lot of bumps in that process this year. Yeah, it, it's something that is still developing. And like like you had mentioned before, we talked about before the show how you know these traditional retailers, the WalMarts and the Targets of the world, have really 
struggled maybe a little bit more than some of the online only retailers um, integrating this new kind of omni-channel system. And you know maybe that's because, as we mentioned, they're used to this legacy you know uh, regime of having of getting all their goods shipped. Uh, to their store and that supply chain mechanism and, and that transition has been a little bit of a little bit of a bumpy ride. Putting a TV on a shelf is a lot easier than looking at the TV in the warehouse and going, "Well, Nick wants one. Uh, he's going to come in in a couple hours. Dan wants one, but please bring it to his house. Uh, and these three other people probably will buy it off the shelf." So, the it's more complicated now than it once was, and I think you also have to look at. That this is maybe year two of this being a technology of people using it at all. So Amazon, in terms of just its pure delivery model, is a few years ahead of where Walmart and Target are. So I think you're gonna. There, there were growing pains this year. There's there's no other way. Anybody who's ordered has gotten weird boxes and orders that come early and late. And you know, you guys at the office send me eight days of Hanukkah gifts spaced out over eight days, and four of them showed up on the same day. So we're we're, we're seeing some problems, but really not as bad as I expected. Yeah, you're right, Dan. I, and let's talk about to. Um, What's going on with this, these traditional logistics uh, companies? So, so FedEx and UPS, um, FedEx, UPS, and the Postal Service actually collectively have, in spite of this increased demand, uh, logged their best uh, on-time delivery performance since 2013, um, according to ShipMatrix, uh, which is a, a, a software provider that analyzes shipping data. UPS delivered 98.3% of its packages on time, while FedEx and, and USPS had on-time delivery rates of 98.9% and 97.9%, respectively. So, what we're looking at here, Dan, is you know, while there may be some struggles in in these retailers from their omni-channel perspective, these traditional log- logistics folks have really done a good job, you know, absorbing this demand. They learned their lesson. I mean, last year weather was more of a contributing factor, and we could still have storms that screw everything up. And there's absolutely no way FedEx can plan for you know the storm we had this week in the in the Midwest. Like <laughs> that's not expected. People are going to get some packages late. But last year, there were a number of problems. There were Amazon orders coming after Christmas. There were this year, they threw people at the problem. You know, we, we were both talking about an article we saw in the Wall Street Journal or earlier that they are hiring tens of thousands of people even now. So they weren't going to just, you know, take this and say, well, maybe we'll get it right. They threw a lot of money at it. And that's probably expensive. It's probably gonna hurt the margins for those companies, but from a a reputation point of view, it is much better to get it right. Yes, Dan, I, I saw two, some some interesting you know kind of data from from FedEx that they've been really working closely with retailers to kind of plan out demand. Um, so they've also even like put some limits on how much individual real retailers can put into uh, their shipping network to to kind of prevent them from becoming overstrained. Um, that's kind of a trend we're seeing where these logistics providers and the, and the retailers are really having to work together to make sure you know uh, all the goods get where they need to be when they're supposed to get there. I think it's also worth it to like step back as consumers. So if I send you a gift that you're really waiting for, and it's the only gift FedEx delivers incorrectly all year, you are going to have a negative perception of FedEx. So this this is not a zero sum game. Ninety eight point three percent is still going to come with a fair amount of negative feedback for these companies. All right, and in addition to these cooperations that we're seeing between these, you know, FedEx, UPS, these traditional logistics providers, you know, we mentioned spreading out promotions that that some of these retailers have done. We've also seen some kind of interesting maneuvers <laughs> to to open up new logistics uh, kind of capacity. Uh, that maybe it hadn't been used in the past, and one of, one of the examples that you know I'd been reading about 
is Amazon has started on vacant patches of land that they have near near their real estate and near their uh, logistics centers. They have uh, started running some of their operations out of large tents. So I know we saw that we saw that with Tesla with, with their factory that they they add an additional assembly line out of a tent. Well, tents are hot in the streets right now. Amazon is doing them as well. What can you talk about? What these kind of operations are adding to them from a logistics so logistical perspective? So I think it's very important because Amazon is changing how these companies think. Walmart, and we've talked about some of my Walmart issues, has always had the "this is our process, follow our process." Amazon takes a, we're getting it to you in two days because that's what we promised. So you talked about the tents. It's not just that they've set up added facilities. They're also bringing in temporary workforces. Basically, if they have to strap your package to a, a carrier pigeon to get it to you, they're open to that. And that's forcing Walmart and Target to take a little bit more of that attitude of, okay, this isn't about our system. It isn't about what we're going to do next year. It's about how do we get this package delivered? So if our manager has to put it in the backseat of his car. And we've all seen people in our neighborhoods delivering Amazon packages that are barely identified as working for Amazon. A sticker on the window of the car sometimes, which is a little creepy. But they've really taken the attitude that the result matters. And I think, much like with Tesla, it was important to get the 5,000 cars number. Here, if you want consumers to have faith that this is going to work, and Christmas gifts arriving on time is very, very important to people, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes, even if you lose money on that delivery. Right, Dan, and, and it's not even not only something that's coming around for the holiday season uh, alone as well. I mean, we're seeing uh, uh, JLL, which is a real estate firm based out of Chicago, they're converting a parking garage that's over 3.8 million square feet in the middle of, of Chicago, underneath the Millennium Park, in a logistics facility for retailers to use. We're seeing uh, some conversion of, of properties in the in middle of downtown New York City that are old, unused structures, and turning them into into logistics uh, uh, vehicles, basically. Um, so we're really seeing just a, a move, both both you know in the short term, kind of making things work over the holiday season, and then in longer term, putting these logistical uh, uh, facilities as close to the customer as they can. So in the middle of Chicago, in the middle of New York, and this is something we're going to we're going to continue to see developing. Right, there's a little growing pains with the tents, but what do you see long term? How how these these infrastructures are going to get built out to get everything as close to the customer as possible? Well, I think they need to know their data more. And obviously, if you're Amazon, you can use Whole Foods, you can use some of the Coles they have relationships with. So as they start to build the holiday data year after year after year, they, in theory, can have what you're going to buy closer to where you are. They can also build their sort of flexible capacity relationships. So our Davenport house has a Walmart and an Amazon fulfillment center on the same road. And usually when I drive down that road, I see like 10, 12 Amazon Prime tractor trailers, all with the Amazon logo. Now you see like 40, 50 tractor trailers overnight, but most of them aren't Amazon anymore. So they're clearly flexing out their workspace and building relationships. We've seen, obviously, the price of trucking has gone up. They're paying dearly for that, and that's going to hurt margins. It's going to rise prices. It's, But as that happens next year, they might realize, yes, we can fully add 15 more Amazon-branded trucks at a cheaper price, which will logistically work and we'll need them at the holidays. Right, Dan. I mean, it's definitely going to be an interesting phenomenon to pay attention to going forward. Um, on the back half of the show, we're going to talk about a little bit what's going on from a macro perspective, both from tariffs and a little, little bit of interesting news coming out of the USPS with regard to uh, shipping rates. But first, a message from our sponsor. Support for Industry Focus and the following message come from NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. 
Is your business set up to spot trouble before it happens? According to the Harvard Business Review, most major revenue stumbles could have been avoided, but no one saw the early warning signs. That's why you need visibility into what's really happening with your business. Save time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desk or phone. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com fool. Okay, Dan, on the back half of the show, as I mentioned, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on from a macro perspective affecting uh, logistics and, and shipping. And the first thing I want to talk about is tariffs. Of course, you know, we, we've had several <laughs> rounds. Yeah, I know, it's big, 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 uh, big issues here. But, uh, you know, we've had several rounds of tariffs this year. Um, the most recent, or the most recent uh, news that we got uh, was an agreement between uh, President Trump and uh, President Xi of China to uh, kind of declare a ceasefire in, in what had been has been an ongoing uh, trade spat between the countries that would delay uh, increases on uh, tariffs, uh, which are currently 10%, which would, were set to increase to 25% January 1st. It's going to delay that tariff increase until for at least 90 days to continue um, kind of negotiations uh, with that trade dispute. As a result of these tariffs, we've really seen a surging. We would have expected to see the uh, uh, the trade deficit between the U.S. and China to shrink as a result of tariffs. Actually, we have seen it surge in a very significant way over the past few months. It, in, in October, it hit the highest it had ever been at $43.1 billion. Um, and part of that has come because this ex- expectation for tariffs to increase on January 1st to 25% has incentivized a lot of exporters in China and a lot of importers in the United States to front load their shipments to beat that increase in tariffs. Now that we're not seeing that increase, what does that mean for U.S. retailers and for logistics providers you know, well, across the world? It's a problem. So you bought a lot of, I don't know, shovels. You bought a lot of shovels at $10 because you didn't want to pay $12 for them. Now they might not cost $12, and you've tied up all that money and your shovels. Let's hope they sell, but what if you overordered? What if your stockpile and demand doesn't. So you're going to have some dead inventory. You're going to have some inventory that maybe they make up a little bit because they sell it after the holiday season at a good price. But people hedged against uncertainty, and there's still a ton of uncertainty. Yeah. I mean, we still don't know if when 90 days come around that these aren't going to get jacked up again. And and then another factor to think about, Dan, too, is that it wasn't just one retailer doing this. It's large numbers of U.S. retailers all looking to get their goods to market before this January 1st increase. While there's only a limited supply of logistics infrastructure to make that happen, so I'm sure they paid a little bit higher rates to make that stuff get here. Um, that ended up not being necessary. So when you run a smaller retailer, which as we've talked about, I ran a, a toy store that did a couple million dollars in sales a year. You have to make your Christmas decisions in the summer. So you were staking out your inventory, your Legos, your your stuff that's going to sell. So if you decided this is not a big a problem at Walmart or Target, so let's say I banked on. I'm going to buy a bunch of Han Solo Star Wars Legos for my toy store, and then the movie tanks. That's what's kind of happening here. People had to, stores that don't normally have to make big bets in advance had to make big bets in advance. So if those bets were right, it won't matter. It'll probably all even out in terms of the pricing. But the reality is that's not how it happens. If you're Walmart, you can make a relatively small bet for Walmart and then just order more. Instead, they are chock full of stuff, and we will probably see a slowdown, a pretty big slowdown in ordering in uh, in the first quarter. Right, Dan, because I mean that, that this inventory that we had built up is going to have to roll off, you know, before we can really make uh, a meaningful, a meaningful new investments in inventory. And without being too political. 
you can say 90 days, but I think we're at at a time where every one of us in this space wakes up in the morning and checks the news to make sure nothing crazy happened. Um, you know, war with Canada, invaded Mexico, who knows? So that as a buyer, as a, as a national or a global retail chain, that has to weigh very heavily on every decision you make. Right. As you mentioned, Dan, just businesses really don't like uncertainty. We see that in the stock market. As uncertainty rises, we see more volatility. And we see that in these logistics infrastructures. And just as kind of an aside, this is not a problem that is unique to the United States. We're seeing a very similar problem in Britain ahead of Brexit, where they have had a massive demand increase for storage facilities in anticipation of Brexit Dis- disrupting a lot of the, a lot of the trading relationships in that region, and, and so we've seen retailers over there stockpile on inventory and stockpile on storage there. So, and it just it, it creates a difficult situation for businesses. You're getting a one-two punch here because you're you have all this inventory that you also have all the logistics and the increased trucking of the season. So, moving all this stuff around is more expensive. It would be cheaper to order stuff for delivery February 2nd than to get it December 2nd. So you're adding to the cost, and some items you can price higher. Some items, consumers are only going to pay what they're willing to pay. So if Amazon holds the line and paper towels are $3.99, you're not going to get $5.99 at Walmart for them. That's a terrible example. Nobody knows what paper towels cost. (laughs) It's okay, Dan. I think I think what we want we want listeners to take away here from from this tariff uh, is that yes, it is great news that we're getting a delay and in increase of these tariffs. It's gonna it's gonna probably be good for consumers and that they're not gonna pay higher rates than they would have in the past. However, businesses took steps assuming that these these things were going to be in place. They uh, realized some expenses they did not have to to prepare prepare for these circumstances and. The premium they paid for goods to get that them here quicker, uh, in anticipation of these tariffs, is extra money they're not going to get back. I know we've heard on some of our other podcasts talking about you know when weather comes through and restaurants don't get sales, those sales aren't going to come back. The same way, paying for these goods to get to market, you're not going to get that back in, in margins. So it, it's something you think about in the in the context of tariffs and in the context of shipping in general. I think as an investor, as you look at these companies, you really want to look at same store sales. An increase of sales. You're not going to look at cost of goods sold because it's an anomaly. We are not going to have this uncertainty forever. At some point, we're going to sort out the tariffs. We're going to create some sort of. Now, there's other instability. At times in the past, gas prices have created pricing instability. But this is a real wild card that you probably have to back out some of this expense when you look at the health of an actual company. I, I totally agree with you here, Dan. And let's talk about another wild card that's kind of getting <laughs> thrown in uh, again, again from the executive branch. Um, there's currently a, a Treasury-led task force that is proposing the U.S. Postal Service should charge more uh, for for their package deliveries. The, the task force has reported that the Postal Service does not price its package deliveries in a way that focuses on profits, and therefore they, that the Postal Service should look at increasing their rates uh, to more of a market-based rate. So what are your what's your instant response uh, reaction to this, Dan? Doesn't that tell you everything that's wrong with government-run agencies? Like, can you imagine if I said, "Hey, Nick, I'm starting a business. It's a uh, it's a butcher shop, and I'm not going to price the meat based on the cost of the meat." <laughs> uh, on Tuesday, the veal chops are free. <laughs> like, it just makes no sense. So, and I know there there are laws. There, it's not easy for the post office to increase prices, but very clearly. Any sensible person would say that that 
whether it's Amazon, whether whoever it is, should be paying at least the cost of the service. Now, obviously, there are some deals, like the Amazon delivery on Sunday through the USPS is profitable. They have negotiated a deal where because they are serving one customer in a very specific way, it makes money. So they need to figure out how to price the rest of their service. And that's going to change some things too. Because if you raise the cost of shipping, it might be beneficial to go to a store and you'll see more of what Walmart does where they will say, we will sell this to you and ship it to you for this price. But if you come get it, it's that price. <laughs> and that's not something Amazon can do easily. But Amazon has the volume to negotiate things like their Sunday deal or to say, all right, you're going to raise prices. We're going to build our own shipping network. Right, Dan. And just to, just to give a little context on, on Amazon, um, according to Morgan Stanley, Amazon relies on the Postal Service to deliver about 45% of its packages. So that's you know, a meaningful a meaningful segment uh, uh, of their business. Uh, you know, I know uh, part of this postal service uh, price discussion ha- has been in relation to President Trump's attitudes towards Amazon. So it's going to affect them. Another another part of, uh, of the industry that we might think is going to be affected is uh, well, FedEx and U- UPS. In that, it might actually be a, a little bit of a negative for them. Um, Oftentimes, uh, FedEx and UPS can use the postal service for their last mile delivery. Um, as those prices increase, that's of course going to hurt them um, because it's going to increase the cost of their shipping. It also, though, higher USPS prices allows UPS and FedEx to charge more. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the analogy that I would have is you think about the federal funds rate. We've talked about the the interest rate interest rates being increased over time. That rate for banks is the baseline for interest rates, and their their rates are always set relative to that number. Well, what happens in logistics as well is UPS and FedEx and other shippers' rates are set relative to the Postal Service. So if, so if we look at the Postal Service increasing their rates, it's just like the Fed increasing rates. All these shippers <laughs> down the line get to increase their rates as well, because relative to this baseline Postal Service rate, you know, the spread remains the same. Right, because there's no magic to it. It's not like FedEx has like a special, better way to deliver packages than, you know, I mean, obviously there's a heavy level of training at FedEx and UPS and they're very efficient, but they haven't figured out teleportation or drone delivery or any of the things that would be a game changer. So it's a fixed cost. Right. And going forward on these prices, uh, it's unclear what what form uh, these price uh, increases for the Postal Service are going to take. We do know at this time that there is going to be an increase on uh, the USPS's parcel select service in the range between 9.3% and 12.3% beginning at the beginning of 2019. And this service, just for context for listeners, it allows large shippers to think your Walmart's targets of the world to sort their packages themselves and then deposit them directly to the USPS for their final delivery. So we know for sure that large package shippers will see a 9 to 12% increase in their rates for the, for this service. What is your reaction to that? Well, so do you do you buy from Amazon pretty regularly? Yeah, as a US citizen, I'm probably <laughs> I'm probably in the vast majority here as as buying Amazon probably once a week for sure. So I pr- order from Amazon probably every day. And if Amazon came to me and said I'm going to increase the price of Prime by 12% uh, and everybody else I shipped, I order from that sometimes I have to pay shipping said, we're going to pass this on. We're going to raise your prices 15%. I wouldn't bat an eye. Maybe occasionally I'd pick up something in a store just to not have to order it to save a time, but it wouldn't factor in. So unless Amazon said, yeah, Prime's 129 now it's 650 <laughs> 
I don't think this impacts anyone. I think this is one of those areas like gas prices where consumers just expect it's going to be a little flexible. And like, I don't know. Do you know what it costs to like FedEx a box? Like, if you have to FedEx something, you go to the FedEx and do it, and it costs what it costs. You're right. And what what could be the takeaway here is that given that this is kind of a marginal increase, and that there is kind of a lot of consumer surplus to the Amazon Prime offering to begin with. This could be something that just passed on to consumers, but it is something to think about in that, you know, these businesses are going to have to adapt whether it's passing those prices on to consumers or making changes to their logistics infrastructure to kind of handle I, these costs going I, forward. I think, and we talked about this a little bit before. This is going to be a big benefit to brick and mortar retail chains that have very good supply side logistics, because you are going to be able to know on every item. Like Walmart might be able to say, I'll ship this to you if you also buy this. You know, Amazon has the add on items that are free shipping, but only with another order. I think you're going to see a much more sophisticated level, or Walmart saying, I will give you something great. I'll give you a $5 gift card to come pick this up in the store because it makes no sense to ship it to you because. You know, you're a mile away, and I have to send it to a post office that it's going to get be on a plane before it gets to you. So this might be a little bit of a blow to Amazon, or might force Amazon to make some more brick and mortar partnerships. Yeah, what we know for sure is that demand for e-commerce and goods purchased online is certain to increase over the coming years, and that as a result of that, the ability to move things from one place to another, particularly small individual shipments will become even more important each year. And the companies that are able to navigate uh, navigate that dynamic and to adapt as things change, whether it's with these tariffs or with you know the USPS, those are the companies that are going to really succeed going forward. I think moving things from place to place is more important today than it maybe has ever been. What are your thoughts on that? Well, and just to close, there's one more prong of this that we've talked about before. And that is everybody is building out some sort of same-day shipping capacity. Like my son texted me when I was was with you at a football game yesterday. How did you order from Chipotle? Because my wife was baking and he wanted Chipotle, so they couldn't go out. And I said, it's Postmates. And my wife said, What the hell is that? I don't know. Like, that's not she uses Grubhub. She doesn't know she's we have instant card. She so I had to send her a picture of the app and be like, this is how you do it. And then I looked at my phone and I have like 15 separate delivery apps and like three restaurant chains we deliver from that you order through them, but maybe it shows up and it's Uber Eats, or maybe it's Postmates, or maybe it's who the heck knows. Right. As Target and Walmart figure that out. They will take some stress off their two-day shipping by saying, no, it makes sense to have toothpaste and toilet paper and cookies be in our same-day delivery basket and to incentivize people because that's always going to be a smaller pool of items that they there's less choice. They'll push you towards it. So there's still that whole one big piece, and there's going to be huge shakeouts there. They're not going to be 15 separate delivery services in, in West Palm Beach in, in two years. And maybe even Walmart and Target won't both make it. But – that is going to sort of change this whole UPS, FedEx. Those are all like guys in a car kind of delivery services. So you will see this sort of like gig economy service kind of take some stress off. Yeah, Dan, it's going to be something that is just remarkable to follow You know, over the coming years as just the face of retail continues to transition and consumer preferences continue to be, I want to stay at home and you bring this stuff to me. <laughs> you businesses figure out how to make that happen. So, you know, I'm excited to keep following with you, Dan. And I was going to say, I'll see you in a few on. weeks. We'll talk about it again. Exactly, exactly. Thanks again for coming on, Dan. 
Um, as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Dan Klein, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.